everyone. Welcome to Terror Talk. <laughs> I saw you moving those items across your desk so gingerly so you didn't hit the mic. Yeah, I had some snacks. So, you know, I just wanted to get going and I realized, oh, I got to clear all the snacks like, before we start talking. And I was trying not to screw it up. So we had to start over again. Welcome. Thank you putting, for putting the on-air sign on so I know we're recording. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Kathy gave me a little, like I can just flick it on and off, and it's an on-air sign like the old radio studios. Yeah. So I flicked it on so she knew she needed to be on her best behavior. <laughs> We're on. We're recording. <laughs> I really tried to get through some of these episodes that we're recording today without any horror facts with Kath, but sometimes I just can't help myself. I, I actually kind of really like, for those of you who don't watch, listen to our horror content, we do horror facts with Kath. For our horror content, fun facts, and we play this little game, and it, it was really never part of the true crime episodes, and you've started incorporating a little bit. I mean, who doesn't want facts? Uh, I mean, so these are... And who doesn't want to see Shannon, like, really work for these facts? <laughs> Horrifying facts with Kath. It's a little different. Did you want to start with facts or something Oh, else yeah, we're today? starting with, uh, you know, if you can give me the... Cereal facts with Pearl. And this is not cereal as an eating cereal, although I can do those too because I love cereal. <laughs> cereal as as an S E R I A L. Oh my God. Yes. Like we know. Cereal. The Casanova Killers. Killer. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Number one. Why didn't Noel's get the notoriety he was looking for? <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wonder. Okay. This is part two, by the way. So if you're like, what are they talking about? Go back and listen to part one or not. Don't listen at all. I don't know. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, how many of Noel's 18 victims did he sexually assault? Oh, okay. Now we're horrifying. Now we're horrifying with girl. Uh, Number three, how did Noel's escape prison after being thrown in for a bar fight in 1974? Did he jump out of a window like Bundy? No, but Bundy, that guy, what a clown. (laughs) Shenanigans, I tell you. Yeah. Number four, which infamous serial killer said this? Oh, really? When this monster entered my brain, I will never know, but it is here to stay. How does one cure himself? I can't stop it. The monster goes on and hurts me as well as society. Maybe you can't stop it. I can't. End quote. All right. I mean, I have a guess, but I try not to keep the quotes from these gentlemen in my head. This guy used monster to describe Mm -hmm. his persona. I got that. Number five. Who coined the term serial killer? Kathy Barrett. Well, we hasn't been around for that long then. (laughs) Nope. It's new. Didn't you know? So last episode. We're moving on from facts now. Hold on. Are we moving on from serial facts? (laughs) I just want to make you do it again. Okay. I'm not going to have a voice left. Moving on. We ended last week talking about, or last episode, I should say, we ended talking about Sandy Fox, who had written the book, um, Natural Born Killer, about her experience 
that three-day rendezvous that they had where she said that he never tried anything that would have made her believe that he was dangerous. Mm -hmm. And partially, you know, some of the beliefs around that were the two women that he set, he let free was Sandy. And then Barbara Abel was the other one. Mm -hmm. Now, Barbara described that he had made some mistakes when he held her captive, but in hindsight, they both were, Sandy was in journalism and then Barbara also was in like copywriting or something like that. So there is a belief that those two, if they were to decide to put their stories out there, it could have created this notoriety. Yeah. So those were the two that he let go. So Sandy was one of the only folks that we had information from his killings because the tapes had been destroyed that he had recorded thinking he was going to make all this money off these tapes. So we ended the last episode talking about how she had described his childhood. He had been institutionalized from the age of eight. And she learned how, you know, after once she figured out who he was later, when she was with him, finding all this out about his childhood, she kind of put together like, well, this is how he became who he Mm -hmm. did because his childhood was pretty devastating. But we didn't talk yet about what happened at the end of his criminal career. Mm. And I'm just going to briefly go through that. So um, the beginning of the end for Knowles was, uh, and this is well after Fox and all that, you know, he continued on and killed. So the beginning of the end started when he was pulled over by Florida Highway Patrol Trooper Charles Campbell in Perry, a small town about 70 miles west of Lake City. And Campbell had recognized that there was a a stolen car that he was driving. Mm. So he was able to, um, Knowles was able to actually take Campbell hostage, according to the the police. And he used the patrol car siren to pull over a motorist, James Meyer, and take his car. Mm. So he was accused of uh, then handcuffing both men to a tree mm-hmm. in Pulaski County, Georgia. That's how far he got. Yeah. Yeesh. And then he shot them both in the head. Okay. So two days later, he... He's such a mess. He takes off running after he crashes through a roadblock in Georgia and rams into a tree. I'm just picturing this whole thing. He has kidnapped a police officer and some other guy, motorist. He steals their cars. He handcuffs them both to a tree. Mm -hmm. He shoots them. He takes off. He crashes through a roadblock in Georgia, runs into a tree, and then a huge group of officers and dogs start chasing him. But it was ultimately a hunter carrying a shotgun that stops him in his tracks and actually gets a hold of him until he's arrested. I mean, what? This is like a circus. Yeah. He <laughs> My God. So according to, you know, the records in December 1974, Knowles was being taken from the Douglas County Jail to a location where he said he had left a gun used in one of the murders. Like, OK, well, we're going to we're going to take you back. And on the way there, the Georgia police said he picked the lock on his handcuffs and tried to take the agent's gun. So the way that the car was set up is there were four officers in the car. Okay. Because he was such a, like, 
This guy was a flight risk. Yeah. 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 That's so all he does that, is fly. That's all he does. He just leaves. He <laughs> crashes cars and kills people moves and on takes off moves on to the next. Person. Yeah. Reminds me of like one of those video game things that bounces and then keeps going. I know. Right? He can't stay settled. He can't. So there were two officers up front and then there were two officers in the back and he was in the middle in the back. Mm-hmm. So he's picking the lock on his handcuffs, which tracks with what we know yeah. about him breaking out of jail and things like that. So he ends up going to pick the lock he gets out and he he like leans over and grabs one of the agent's gun but agent ron angel pulls his five shot revolver and kills Knowles right there shoots him three times in the chest the car goes off the road and crashed in other reports i saw that there were two officers that actually ended up shooting him one cause of the death mm-hmm. um, he was 28 years old at the time of his death he did all this before the age of 30 okay and but his lawyer to this day does not believe he attempted to escape and that he was actually just killed. But to me, it uh, tracks. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he's like Hannibal Lecter. Like you had to lock this guy. You had to lock him down. He could get out of any situation. He got escaped a bar fight. He got himself out of a locked door. He picked his lock in his cell and got out. Just why so would this frenetic. be like you can't keep a hold of him? Right. Like why would this not be true? Right. You know. So anyway, so that was the end of this. <laughs> Are you sure? Gentleman. <laughs> so I want to, um, now that we have his story and we have his crimes and we have reports and renderings of his crimes and women that, you know, reported what it was like being with him. Mm-hmm. I want to dig a little bit into specifically his background and mental health, but then also just the development of psychopathy or sociopathy from, it, like an environmental place. We okay. know that psychopaths, typically when people say, well, what's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath? We know that psychopaths, at least theoretically, there's more of a, a genetic or neurostructural component. And sociopathy would be someone who tends to lean more towards a narcissistic personality with environmental factors that created this antisocial personality. But obviously there's overlaps and well, that's all why we of get this. both, right? That's why it's nature, nurture, all of yes. that thing. Because it's like it's usually some combination of both. Not always. Not but, always. But usually it's kind of like when we talk about Dahmer as not being a psychopath, more of a sociopath, yes. more of a fetishist, more that's right. All these things. And more of a borderline personality. Right. And and then, of course, others. We've talked a lot about psychopathic narcissists, like Ted yeah, Bundy not all psychopaths are narcissists exactly, either, right? They're very exactly. separate. Antisocial personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder can overlap, but they don't always coexist. Mm-hmm. But sociopaths tend to have narcissism. Psychopaths, not always. And psychopaths are antisocial personality on crack for the layman. <laughs> yeah. So Rebecca Taylor Labrode, she wrote a paper called The Etiology of the Psychopathic Serial Killer. And she said other historical factors common in serial killers are abuse, trauma, insecure attachment, loss or abandonment of a parent or caretaker, antisocial behavior, head injury, and low arousal levels. I would say that, um, end quote, I would say that he, that Noel's, has about 95% of these. Wow. Okay. I don't know if he has head injury, but he has everything else. That's a lot. So he was abused. He was traumatized. He had insecure, if not neglectful attachment. 
Um, he had the loss of parent, a parent, both of his parents and caretakers when he went into the school, which I'll talk about, which really ruined, also ruined his life. He had antisocial behavior from an early age and he had low arousal levels. I mean, obviously this is a guy that could not stop. Right. He needed that stimulation. So furthermore, uh, Mitchell and Amote, I think is how you pronounce their last name, stated familial contributions include the physical absence or lack of personal involvement by one or both parents and alcohol or drug dependency by one or both parents. Mm. So... Let's talk a little bit about what happened to Knowles when he, you know, we know from the first episode I did here that from the age of eight, he was already getting himself into trouble. And because he got into trouble, he was sent to the Dozier School for Boys. This does not surprise me. Yes. And I, uh, I would say three years ago, I think it was on an episode I had talked a little bit about we could actually do a whole episode on the Dozier School, honestly. Okay. But I talked about this school on one of our first seasons, I believe. If not, um, I'll talk about it again, maybe on this show at some point. You and I can do an episode. But a 2013 investigation found that over 50 bodies were buried on school grounds, and more than 500 students ale- uh, had alleged beatings from teachers. Most of these kids were. I remember you talking about this school. Yeah, were young black boys. Um, oh. Awful. Yeah. So among the allegations of, of a group of supervisors known as the White House Boys, which was nicknamed for the building in which they suffered the worst abuse, are accounts of youths being beaten unconscious while chained to walls or beds, raped by staff and other students in a basement or simply disappearing after excessive punishments mm. for minor infractions such as smoking or truancy. So the USF report uh, contains details of a six-year-old boy who died after being sent out to work as a houseboy and a teenager who was found shot to death and covered by a blanket after running away from the school. Mm. This was, you know, after he got in trouble for stealing the bike when he was a kid, he sent to Dozier School and this is now becomes his reality after already living in a very living in in a a house with seven other people there wasn't enough food there wasn't enough space and then he transitions from that to this no just no no this is awful he's there until he goes to florida state prison like this is his life yeah and and i guess the bike incident was bad obviously but this is why he goes i mean well i'll i'll so yeah, it's rough. <laughs> I'll explain that um, a little, in a moment here okay. of what, why I think it happened. Okay. So he he's there until he goes to Florida State Prison, but he never stays out for more than six months when he gets released. Okay. He was institutionalized. He was never reformed. And we know that that's already a, a problem with the prison system, but even more so then. People go to prison now. Sometimes they will get therapy. Sometimes they do get other, you know, they can educate themselves. They, mm-hmm. This was a time where it was really all punishment versus discipline. Yeah, They were punished and they were institutionalized. So his brother said that, he said, my brother didn't go in as a killer. He got tired of the beatings as a youngin and got away from it the best way he knew how at the time. This was Manson. This is what yes. was Manson. Yep. Absolutely. And I remember that first episode of your series 
And so Clifton is his brother's name. And Clifton said he believes that the state of Florida has responsibility for his brother's life or lack of one. So Clifton believes that the combination of their childhood and the abuse that they endured by their father and then being sent off to the school and then going to prison, there's no chance. No, no, all those things will do it. What we were talking about, you know, environmental factors. Yeah, so he was never really given a chance. And, and you know, his brother Clifton is just like, this is, this is after one thing after the next, you literally get any sort of conscience or empathy is, is literally beaten out of you. Yeah. You're just try- you're just surviving at this point. You're you're reptilian at this point. Well, and you can imagine the brain injuries. Oh, sure. And the cognitive and developmental delays. So there could have been brain, brain injury. Yeah, then, I mean. Right? <laughs> so he may have hit all of those. Uh, uh, absolutely. So Lebrode, the same uh, writer from our original, the, the etiology of psych- psychopathic serial killer. Lebrode states, the definition of serial murder is a minimum of three to four victims with a cooling off period in between. The killer is usually a stranger to the victim. The murders appear unconnected or random. The murder is rarely for profit and the motive is psychological, not material. The victim may have a symbolic value for the killer and the method of killing may reveal this meaning. The killer often chooses victims who are vulnerable, such as children, adolescents, women, prostitutes, the average serial killer profile is white, male, low, middle socioeconomic status in his 20s or 30s, has a history of child abuse or neglect, is sociopathic or psychopathic, is a chameleon to his environment, and appears normal to others. Many serial killers are also sexual sadists and incorporate their deviant sexual fantasies into their killings. Actually, almost all serial killers incorporate some kind of sexual element into their murders. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So before I go on with what she says, it's interesting with Knowles because he really did do this for profit. I mean, I think he had other motivation as well. He was triggered. He was rageful. He was all those things. But he did do this for profit. But she said it's rare. It happens. It's rare. It's like for survival in a way. Yeah. For But he wanted to leave it all to his mother. He knew, he, if you look back at some of the recordings and things, like he knew he was going to die. He did not plan on living through this. He was doing this simply to allow his mother to make money off of what he did. He uh, did not really appear normal to others. He was charming no. <laughs> at, at first, but then behind closed doors, according to Barbara and Sandy, that was not the case. Right. He wasn't really a sexual sadist. He did have a couple of victims that he raped, but four out of 18, four people is still a lot. That's a still a lot of rape. But out of 18, you see some of these guys, it's their every it's single one. Quote unquote pattern, right? You were mm-hmm. saying, I, I remember in, last, in the last episode, struggling to see a pattern with him, except chaos. Chaos, chaos was, was his pattern. <laughs> yeah. And he also had male victims that weren't necessarily 
vulnerable, not because they were male, but okay. they were police officers. Yeah. They were people who were armed. Just in his way. Just in his way. Um, so it would fit, fit the fact that the, the murders were unconnected or random. We'll give him that. So kind of go through that. So she goes on, LeBrode goes on to say, one of the most common and disturbing factors found in many serial killers' histories is their unusual or unnatural relationships with their uh, mothers, oh, which often included sexual and sadistic elements. So now, he, he never really mentioned anything, unless you want to go psychoanalytical. There wasn't anything overtly sexual or sexually sadistic mm -hmm. about his relationship with his mother, more that he had a lot of love for his mother. I think she was the only attachment the only object in his life that represented some love or nurturing and he was separated from her quite young. I don't have any information that she was abusive. I think dad was. Oh, okay. um, most of his family passed away, but his brother Clifton, um, who I was talking about just a moment ago, described their life as very poor, seven people in the house with an outhouse, um, to the point where Clifton said, in today's climate, we would have been taken out of the house. There was a lot of physical abuse yeah. and he described their father as beating Paul to death. Mm. So I think one of the other reasons he went to Dozier school was yes, he did these things as, as a kid, but they probably saw the conditions in he which he was living and he was just also removed mm -hmm. and a better, imagine the better option was the Dozier school. That was Manson too. Yeah. How mm -hmm. sad is that? Very. So we know that uh, Knowles believed that he would become infamous for his murders, or he believed he did. And for that, his mother would become rich and would be able to live off of his murders. And um, so she was quite the motivating factor for recording uh, the course of his murders. I talked a little bit about how he had these kill tapes that his attorney kept in his vault. And he recorded details about more than a dozen murders that he did. He says that he has committed. Um, he's interviewed by, by a psychiatrist before he's shot by a police officer. So one of the times that he was in prison shortly before his death, he's interviewed and he talks about using murder in a way, like I said, to create that infamy. I think he used it to get his power back to give his mother a life of luxury. You know, there's obviously some grandiose delusions going on in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, he believed that the, his murders would be publicized, that books would be written about him, um, that the tapes would be worth so much that his mother could live off the release of these tapes <laughs> to the public. So he, in the tapes, he discusses how he couldn't bear going through another year of killing people. Oh. Um, and had intended on being shot before he was arrested. So there's that information. Okay. He just kind of knew he was going to die. But again, I don't know if he says that out of like a grandiose yeah, place either, right? Yeah, it's fair to assume he did, <laughs> just from his other behavior. Because he did try to escape. Yeah, and you know, his books were going to be so famous. But... So famous. Oh, yeah. So when he's asked about the worst thing that ever happened to him in his life, he responds, the worst, being born, to be truthful. He was asked that the best thing that, uh, what was the best thing that ever happened to him in his life to which he responded, nothing. I mean, so nothing good so far. I'm a criminal and I've been a criminal since I was a little kid. His attorney spoke of Angela Klovich, which I talked about in the first episode, who was basically a meal ticket out of prison. Um, she was much older than Knowles and would write letters to him. And as we discussed in the first episode, he was clearly 
grooming and exploiting her to get him out of prison. But she eventually figures out that her relationship is dangerous and she leaves him, which leads to this really big uh, abandonment and rejection. And he's left again and separated again from a a woman, Mm -hmm. right? Thinking about his mother from Kovich. So that this power of humiliation was believed to be a trigger to his rage. And we've seen this with Bundy, you know, Bundy found out that his sister was his mother Mm -hmm. and was quite certain that his grandfather might've been his father because we believe that, or there is belief that his grandfather raped his mother. Right. So in conjunction with the rejection of the one woman in his life, he loved Bundy was triggered and that's what many people believe was the cause of his killing spree. So, you know, this unstable identity, he's lied to, he's humiliated, and then the one woman he loves rejects him, and he goes into the spiral. So It's an age-old story. It's an age-old story. So we have the, I, the concept of humiliation and rejection among serial killers mm-hmm. or psychopaths. Not all psychopaths are serial killers, just to be clear, but those who become serial killers or, or do kill, uh, psychopaths have a a very low tolerance for humiliation and rejection, which can trigger this rage. So despite what most people think, psychopaths actually can feel disappointment and they feel it hard. Yeah. They can even feel love, uh, to certain people and pets. Mm -hmm. You know, it might not be the profound selfless love or emotionally mature love that most people can attain most healthy people can attain but researchers have discussed how psychopaths often have what they call hidden suffering but the context of their lives are rarely discussed in studies so in in a lot of research it just kind of shows that they're callous and reptilian which isn't untrue mm-hmm. but we don't want to forget because i think people are like why would they react to that or how could how could these two serial killers or psychopaths be in love with each other they can still feel these yeah. things they yeah. just don't experience them the that way and then they feel that abandonment so the loss of a pet is like it's yeah right massive compared to what we might feel massive and and then so you think about how they might kill every woman in their life but they have this one woman they're obsessed with same right. with pets they might kill animals but they're not going to kill their dog and we know that there are serial killers out there that had dogs, had oh, animals, yeah. right? So one of the ways they mask too. Absolutely, but it's also you have an in, you have a power over an animal. That's right, and they're at your mercy. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So um, oh, and you can project onto them because they don't speak to you in English. For sure. So the projection, the fantasy, is clear. That's absolutely right. It, they won't ruin your fantasy. <laughs> Well, and I think they they uh, do something very similar with the women in their lives, too. Mm-hmm. It's just this objectification, and this person is just a projection of what their needs are. So neuroscientist Joshua Buckelt states that they can regret their crimes, but it doesn't factor into what they might do in the future. So anticipation of future acts is really void of disappointment and disjointed from the regret they may have felt after the crime. So even though they can feel regret, it doesn't necessarily stop them from going on to the, that's just completely fragmented. (laughs) They do feel some satisfaction if they've reached their goals, specifically if they have resolved their anger over the humiliation they've experienced. So if the end goal is to get that revenge, and although I think like you and I talked about in your psychopath 
episode. It's the short lived because then they need mm-hmm. to go out and do it again. They can feel that satisfaction in that right. moment. So they do feel some things. What does this mean for Knowles, right? So the way that I kind of summed up his psychological profile would be, you know, he really didn't have a pattern. So this made it very difficult for investigators to figure him out. He killed men, women, and children. Victims ranged anywhere from children to elders, Mm. as young as seven and as old as 65. Mm. He was an opportunist without preferences. Mm. You know, his crime spree only lasted four months from July through November of 1974. He was charged with 18 murders, but after uh, his arrest, he confessed to 35. The police never confirmed that was true. They only know of 18. He managed to kill people in several states. So his murder spree included in order his home state of Florida, then to Georgia, Ohio, Nevada, Texas, Alabama, Connecticut, and Virginia. Jeez, that's that on the move thing. He was on the move. After the killing in Virginia, he bounced back and forth between Florida and Georgia until he was finally caught, which is what I went through during his arrest. Yeah. Given his infinite love and concern for his mother, resentment from his life in the Dozier school, PJK was hit with the perfect storm. Yeah. I think that would open up the channels for his psychopathic deviance. Mm -hmm. He was socially adept, but sexually repressed. So he could really lure women in, but then didn't really know what to do with them when he had them. Um, So he used his- Because they're human. Because they're human. (laughs) And I think that his- he was sexually repressed. I would imagine none of that developed. No. Right. No, that's when we learn how to relate and all of that stuff. Yeah. You know, all that relational thing. Dozier school yeah. and prison. That's all yeah. he had. No. He used his charm on the surface, but was described to be quite odd and eccentric behind <laughs> closed doors. <laughs> yeah. He was obsessed with infamy. Uh, he was antisocial, sadistic, grandiose, thrived on competitive excitement. He exploited others for his personal gain, but was not sophisticated in his killings. Mm. He was impulsive and messy. His, his attorney described him as an amateur. So based on this, you know, it would be most likely that he was an antisocial personality with narcissistic traits, leaning more towards, I I think an anxious organization than depressed rather than depressed. I'm sure there's depression somewhere in there, um, which we've seen in other psychopaths. So that's our guy. That's our guy. I mean, he he's very different from some of these other guys we've so talked this about. This is what my kind of my final question, and then we can wrap it up. Is like we got some facts to go over, though. Oh, that's yeah. right, we have facts. Well, so then my final question before facts is, how, you know, what are the most defining differences? To me, not knowing anything, but what you've told me is this chaotic seemingly patternless but i think there's pattern in the chaos there's Mm -hmm. pattern in the like moving Mm -hmm. around and all of that but like this what's the difference like he has a similar background to lots of the psychopaths we've talked about and the narcissist and the grandiosity and all that so that's all kind of his etiology is the same okay Mm -hmm. i think his etiology is the same yeah but i think that he is was frenetic yeah. And I don't think he was as just intentional. Like, you know, we've talked about Dahmer and Bundy and Raider and all these guys really like had a type or seek, seeked yeah. out a certain, you know, there was that. Yeah. It's interesting because he's neither, he's has pieces of being organized and pieces of being disorganized. Yeah. 
which is really unique in yeah. a way. But but I'm just saying that from the outside, not knowing too much, is it's like because he could stop, find himself a place to sleep, find a, you know do his thing, sure. all of that. So there's an organization to that. So not like stone cold you know, very mentally ill Rodriguez no. type of thing. Very disorganized. I don't think he was mentally ill. But he also wasn't organized necessarily, yeah. right? So I think he was characterologically disordered. I wouldn't say that this was a guy that had any sort of formal mental illness of like, you know, hallucinations or No, psychosis I think the mental or, health issues were developmental. Yeah, for sure. Lots of trauma. And probably TBI along the way. Probably. And we, for all we know, he was raped in the Dozier school too. Exactly. So, trauma. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah. You want some answers? Sure. Wonderful. You just like to hear me say it. I do. Um, number one, why didn't Knowles get the notoriety he was looking for? I don't know. The limelight was stolen by Ted Bundy. So oh. 74 to 78 was Ted Bundy. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I guess he was a bigger Casanova. Oh. Um, number two, how many of Noel's 18 victims did he sexually assault? Four. Four. I listened. You did. I gave that one to you. <laughs> how did Noel's escape prison after being thrown in for a bar fight in 1974? Picked a lock. Yeah, he listened, I listened. again. <laughs> Number four, which infamous serial killer said this, quote, when this monster entered my brain, I will never know, but it is here to stay. How does one cure himself? I can't stop it. The monster goes on and hurts me as well as society. Maybe you can stop it. I can't, end quote. There's so many of them that could be that. The it's one we've talked about. Well, yeah. And the first one that, that came to mind was Gacy. And then Dahmer. It was actually Dennis Rader. Oh, there you go. He was one of the only ones we've talked about that was very, uh, Dahmer too, very open about the um, the torment. Yes. Yeah. They were articulate about their seeming emotional palate. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yet so cold when asked about his kills. Yet yeah. not having an emotional palate. <laughs> no. They mimicked it very well, though. They did. And then who coined the term serial killer? I don't know, but I think it was the FBI. I just don't know who. Uh, Robert Ressler is okay. his name. Yeah. So FBI. There you go. Clarice Stalling from the FBI. Are you watching True Detective? I haven't, but I it's in my little. I keep passing by, and I'm like, ooh, it's I can't good, wait. kids. It's good, Jody. I'm actually watching uh, Griselda. Which one? Wait. Well, by the people who did Narcos. Oh, nice. Series. And okay. it, but it's limited. It's like six episodes All or right. something. It's really good. Cool. If you like badass women and violent criminal stories. Yeah. <laughs> and it's well shot, well acted, et cetera. So, and it's uh, mostly in Spanish. Of course, there's uh -huh. subtitles and it's American shot. You know, it's, it's got all the, of like an American sensibility to it. Yeah. But it's, uh, and it's really good so far. Very so, good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.